This time on Holy Ghost Notes. I'm still messing up. Why is that? It feels weird. I don't like it. You go crazier than any other drummer I've ever seen live. What's going on? This is Matt and Tim, and you're listening to the Holy Ghost Notes podcast. Thanks for joining us. Mm. What's up, guys? What's up, everybody? Thanks for following along. Tim and I were just talking. This is episode 53. 53. 53. And in our pre-roll with our inner circle, I was talking about how I just thought um, if someone was listening to us in the very beginning, like episode one, two, three through 10, and then they're like, ah, this is kind of old. It's kind of the same thing. They're right sometimes and wrong other times. Or you found another podcast, whatever happened, and you left. Um, I think it's it's pretty neat to think about how two years later and at episode 53, we're still running. And I just hypothesized the scenario in which this person comes back and they're like, you know, refreshing the podcast page. Yeah. And they're like, oh, Holy Ghost Notes still exists. Like, it, it must not suck that badly. They're still here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Either or that or we just oblivious. like to talk. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was about to say, or they're just oblivious to the fact that, like, no one likes them. <laughs> but we're still here, and we still, still like here. doing this. And we like to think that what we're doing here, um, no, actually, seriously, what we're doing here, we really feel like is important. And mm-hmm. it's important for a couple reasons. Uh, one thing that I... I think is unique about our podcast and is important to talk about is the mental and psychological aspect behind drumming. Yeah. And so Tim made the point in our pre-roll, like Tim, you were like, yeah, there are podcasts out there where they talk about gear and they talk about uh, what to buy, what not to buy, how to play, how not to play. And we get into a little bit of that, but those are probably our least favorite episodes. Yeah. It's the mental ones that we like the best. Yeah, breaking so down like, why you do something and how to how to better it. Right, yeah. right. And you made the point that I liked, which was um, how to improve your drumming and how to improve your life. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so how to improve your drumming would be the drum topic and how to improve your life would obviously be what we believe is like a full and fulfilled life is one where you are talking to God and and living for something beyond what's here mm-hmm. um in the here and now whether it's just the fact that you're loving other people in a way that like is not natural yeah. um or you have a private spiritual life or religious life that's important to you and guides you we've talked about that a lot in this episode or mm-hmm. uh, in this podcast like if your house is intact yeah you can go out into the world and whatever happens out there can't touch you, can't burn you, can't affect yeah. you because at home, everything is intact. On the contrary, if life at home is a mess, internally speaking, um, then you can go out there and get a bonus and you know have a great day, have a great week, have a great year, and it, it really doesn't give you what you thought it would. That's right. Um, yeah. And so we, we've talked about that a lot, and I, I appreciate that about our podcasts, that we go to a level that might make some people feel uncomfortable. I mean, at times it makes us feel <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable, but it's like, yeah, okay, so what? Like, let's get uncomfortable. Let's, let's talk about things that might be tough to talk about mm-hmm. because we feel like they're important. That's right. I like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's, um, I've said it before, it's, um, it's important because it's, you know, we, we've had feedback from people just saying how it's, help them better themselves and better their life 
work right. through struggles. Um, but honestly, it's helped me do the exact same thing. Like these conversations are the conversations that I need in my life. And uh, so this isn't all lip service. This isn't just us having a conversation to get some listens. Like this is us having a real conversation and we just happen to be recording it. <laughs> like yeah, that's, that's right. literally <laughs> what it is um, at its uh, <laughs> at its simplest at its core. form uh, at its core. So yeah. Um, but with that being said, um, you've got a lot going on, man. A lot you're, going on right now. You're busy. Yeah. We were talking about me being busy, and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm not as busy as you are. <laughs> <laughs> Let me clear my throat before I get into this. <laughs> uh, it feels like a lot. Um, we have a very exciting week, which, as it turns out, uh, will have already happened by the time this episode comes out. So. Mm-hmm. This is episode 53. It comes out on May 25th. And by that time, we will have played the Leveler 10-year anniversary live stream show. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you saw it, if you got tickets, thank you so much, and I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and if you didn't, um, then I think at that point, there will still be merch available on the site. And you can at least go there and support us and... You know, if you're anything like me, Tim, I don't know if you like this or not. Are you nostalgic? Oh, yeah. So, okay. so nostalgic. Me yeah. too. So, like, when Between the Verity Me came out with a bunch of merch from Alaska, like, they did this Alaska-themed release. Yeah. I think it was Alaska. It just, like, tugged at my heartstrings, just seeing the logo and just, mm. like, I have that CD, you know? There's yeah. just something about yeah. that era of my life. And and I think the same is, is true of Leveler for some people because it goes back to... 2011 and mm-hmm. there's so much about that time frame in my band's career um so the merch is the merch is um is 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 selling well it's very popular and i think some of it is like people are coming out of this COVID era of like mm-hmm. i can't wait to get out there and i want some fresh clothing yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then some of it is like wow i forgot how much i like that record or i yeah. That record means a lot to me, and this is really cool. So yeah. anyway, I just wanted to just say thank you for your support. If you did get tickets for the live stream, we've been preparing for this for months and months, a lot of work, and it all leads up to uh, this weekend. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Leveler, and this might come off, this might come across weird because it's like your band, but Leveler actually holds a little bit of a place in my heart because uh, we started hanging out a lot more often when you were writing that album and yeah we were right over there when you yeah, came over yeah yep and and you talked um you were like calling me pretty frequently because we were working on the brick by brick stuff yeah. <clears throat> and actually the conversations that we have on this podcast are are um they kind of resemble the conversations that we were having quite often when you were in the studio actually right. recording leveler uh, down in Florida, <laughs> and I remember multiple conversations from that time, and then obviously I remember you writing it, and um, so uh, it actually like that whole era um, leveler plays a part in my mind as far as <laughs> that that time in my life, and uh, you know that's awesome. Kind of building our friendship. Did you 
Did you write? Um, did you help me write the beginning of Internal Canon as well? <laughs> I did. <laughs> you remember that? Dun, yeah, dun, yeah. Because I was messing with this off time, the bat batty bat bat batty bat bat batty bat. Yeah, you know, under oath and, style. And yeah, like this weird thing, and then um, we kind of. I have it written that. into the beginning there, so it's like it's yeah. like A B A is pound, B is blast, and then it goes back to pound. And then the second time through that bar, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I there were two people that helped me with uh with the beginning of that song, and admittedly, dude, I totally left you out of the the thanks for that, and I'm sorry for that because like <laughs> next you? time I see you, I'm gonna buy you a beer, um, <laughs> or an adult beverage of, of some kind. But like that's I, about my all that you got in royalties anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Here's six yeah, bucks, re- Tim. Good job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going into debt for that. My uh, my friend Phil Thibodeau helped me write the beginning of that too. I, I oh, don't know cool. if we talked about this when I was down in. So for those listening, I recorded Leveler, uh, we recorded Leveler and Constellations, the album that precedes Leveler, in Orlando, well, mm-hmm. in Sanford. Yeah. And at that time, uh, like like you said, Tim, we were talking about Brick by Brick, and I was on this sort of, I don't know, I was really interested in what the church had to say, uh, theologically speaking, mm-hmm. philosophically speaking. And, and so I found this, I found a pastor down there, I think his name is... John Piper or yeah. R.C. Sproul. I can't remember which one. I confused I them. I mentioned them, yeah. And I found that he actually preached, his church was like very close to where I was recording. So I'm like, yes, I'm going to go to this church and I don't really want to go alone. So um, I put, I tweeted, I was like, hey, does anybody in the area want to go to church uh, with me to go see this pastor speak? Hmm. And I forget, like I said, if it was Sproul or Piper, I think it was Sproul. Um, he speaks and writes in a way that's that's deep. He's like sort of Tim Keller-ish. And it it really grabbed me. So I I got a response from this guy named Phil Thibodeau, who I'd never met before. And we went together. We met for the first time at this church. And he ended <laughs> up being a drummer and a fan of the band, obviously following me on Twitter. And um, he came back to the studio and helped me work on the beginning of Internal Canon. Oh, that's sick. Apparently, that part was difficult for me um, to write to. I, 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 I'm not exactly <laughs> sure why I had I I needed a lot of help on it between you and Phil. Yeah, no, that was that was fun. I, I just remember like you cranking the the MIDI uh, versions <laughs> of these songs, yeah. and there was no real context to what they were going to sound like. Um, yeah. And so it was cool hearing it back for the first time, hearing some of the the fills that we had worked on, um, yeah. I think, and uh, and yeah, and then you you added a bunch of like um, percussion elements to that song too. So like Leveler for to to me anyway was like a complete separation from what you had done in the past as August yeah. Burns Red, yeah. And it was like a whole new breed of metal, yeah. which was we started to get a little cool. weird on Leveler. <laughs> That's when JB like brought in his his ingenious creativity and. Some people call it weird. Uh, there's definitely, I guess you could use that word. I, it, it's the product that's people where you don't call it weird. See, <laughs> right, that's tame for them. Yeah. JB started to flex his, his muscles a little bit. Be like, all right, so like we can yeah. do the constellations thing, which is which is awesome. That's one of my favorite albums. But like Leveler, you're able to see some of that dynamic. Some, yeah. Some other dynamics to your point. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, so anyway, yeah, man. hope you guys enjoyed that live stream. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you guys are always uh, a pleasure to, to see live. I'm always uh, blown away. Thanks, man. This That's is going to be show. the biggest show we've ever done, production-wise. Like, um, I have to, I have to bring suntan lotion. Yeah, you know, um, there's there's fire, and uh, I'm close to it, and it's a thousand degrees at the base of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like on top of playing, I have to be cognizant um, of the the heat level and like yeah. the 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 shock of like, whoo, there's you know. The sound of it and also the sight <laughs> yeah. of it and also the heat of it. Um, yeah. I, it's it's not going to throw me off, but it's just like, I think it's going to amp me up more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you. I'll get you a ticket. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll buy one. You, <laughs> those, I owe uh, you those one. Lever, those lever, you. leveler royalties didn't uh, <laughs> didn't pay for my ticket, man. <laughs> you trying to say leveler just reminded Le- me of um, leveler, leveler. There's a TV episode. I forget what TV show, but someone's trying to say the say the word rural rural juror rural juror. <laughs> it's uh, two tough words, especially yeah, the first one that geez. I don't even want to try to say again. <laughs> Um, <laughs> leveler, leveler, leveler. Yeah, we don't need to pronounce things properly. It's not like we're talking into microphones, right. recording ourselves. Right. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. Well, um, let's get into the drum topic, shall we? Yes. Yes. Let's do it. All right. Cool. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, if if the tech stuff uh, holds up and goes according to plan, uh, we're going to cut yeah. away in a minute to. Uh, me playing a song called Empire, which is off a of leveler at the 2011 Warp Tour, and then we're going to talk about that live setting. And um, and then additionally, Tim, you have a drum video that is going to play. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and then we'll analyze the two and talk about them. And I think the goal is to... So your video is live. My video is actually of me in my home studio, and we're going to talk a little bit about the contrast between mm-hmm. live drumming and uh and studio drumming yeah so so um if you haven't <clears throat> heard or haven't seen we do uh feature these podcasts in video format on youtube this might be a good time to go check that out yeah um, if not we can provide a link to at least the empire video on youtube for you to see yeah. but that's not really the point of this the point is like to showcase just a, a blip of what we're talking about that is um, invoking a memory or an idea, and then we're going to talk about just that. Yeah. Um, so let's show these videos, and I'm going to go pee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's start with Empire. In it might have been 2010 or so, I got a phone call from Truth Custom Drums, who I was playing for at the time. And I don't know if you remember this, Tim, but growing up, 
Truth had artists that I idolize, one of mm-hmm. which was Aaron Gillespie. Yep, yep. So I know you're a big Aaron Gillespie fan. So yep. am I. Um, and uh, Under Earth was pivotal in my plane, and just I, I just like them as a band a lot. I saw them at Warp Tour like 2003 or four. I was there with JB handing out my band's demo. Wow. But anyway, that's besides that's the point. Cool. Um, signature kit through Truth Drums. We were doing some promo <clears throat> for it. We had 100 kits to sell, 100. And Aaron Gillespie had done it, and they wanted me to try it. And I'm like, geez, Aaron Gillespie's a huge name in drumming. I don't know. So we put together, at that point, content creation was a little bit more difficult to do. And so like any chance you, you had to create content you know, you took it. And so we yeah. were on Warp Tour. And I, I think we were, we might've been in the Pacific Northwest for this video. I'm not exactly sure. I was trying to figure out where it was, but uh, it was uploaded October 13th, 2011 by Truth. Um, and as you could hear, we're playing the song Empire and you can hear the crowd. And if you watched it, you could just see the energy. I mean, as I'm watching it, um, I can see how hard I was hitting. I, I wasn't thinking about hitting hard. It's just, how could you not? Yeah. Um, and, and so one thing I want to point out about this video is that I, you are not hearing actual drum audio, like mm-hmm. real live drum audio. That audio is from the studio. And all Truth did is just put the song Empire on top of me playing it, on top of us playing it, and it syncs up because we're all playing what's on the record. Right. So I just want to get that out of the way. It's not that it's really, really good audio. It's just that it's actually the album audio on top of what we're playing because it would sound pretty bad otherwise. Yeah. Um, so but you're playing to a uh, click. You're playing the exact same thing. So it's playing to a click. Yeah. Yeah. That's Spare one of the yourself benefits. The, the, the sound. Exactly. Make <laughs> yeah. it sound good. Exactly. And most people don't, you know, it's not a big deal. So um, what we're going to talk about here is studio setting versus live setting. I'm going to talk about the live setting and Tim is going to talk about the studio setting. We'll kind of mm-hmm. migrate into both as well throughout it. So um, here's the, the point that I would like to get across here. Um, when I do a playthrough of Empire, when I did a playthrough of Empire for Zildjian years ago, shortly after this was recorded, um, I had to actually think about playing in such a way that felt entertaining mm-hmm. and whether i did that or not i'm not exactly sure but if i was going to make it look like i was playing the drums with any amount of enthusiasm and um power it was something i had to sort of manufacture when you're playing in a live setting especially like you could see in this video there are there's probably a thousand two thousand maybe a few more uh in the crowd that are watching singing you know, moshing, <laughs> jumping up and down, whatever. And the energy is, is there, it's created for you. And so yeah. you're reacting to that. And if you're listening to this and maybe you haven't played on a stage or maybe you haven't played for an audience, something that, that as a musician, you might not know is, um, we feed off of that oh, yeah. in a huge way. Right. So much. Yeah. So do you know at Warp Tour, how there's the crowd behind, there's a, if you're backstage, you can come on to the stage, which, as mm-hmm. it turns out, is a trailer. Yeah. It's a truck trailer. <clears throat> and they let a certain amount of people on. If you're trying to watch Paramore, it might be a closed stage. If you're trying to watch um, A Day to Remember, it's going to be packed, and they're going to cut it off at some point. So, like, yeah. we typically had a decently a, – a, 
it was full, but it wasn't like to the point where it was cut off. And so there right. are people right behind me as I'm playing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking behind me. There's people to my right. Looking to my left, there's people there. Look directly behind me. My buddy Bobby's back there. He would like mm-hmm. sit on the subwoofer and just <laughs> hang out. And so there's this like feeling of, um, I don't know, that, that, that really gives you energy it it gives you a little bit of nerves maybe because to your point earlier like you're naked yeah like people can see an angle of you playing that's a weird feeling man that's it's a weird feeling yeah um i i like it but it is a different type of show so bottom line live setting what's happening is largely dictated by the setting in which you are performing it's largely dictated by the setting in which you're performing. A show like Warp Tour, you're outside, which is different in and of itself. Yep. Sometimes the sun's shining in and it's reflecting off your symbols and red right into your eyes. Uh, other days, it's 100 degrees in Las <clears throat> Vegas mm-hmm. and you're just struggling to just make it through. Other days, there's like an imminent storm in the background that you're looking at. Like you, you just constantly have this scenescape in front of you. Right. Um, it's wild. It's it's so wild. Um, so a warp tour show is much different than like a show at the TLA in Philly mm-hmm. at the TLA. It's much darker. It's obviously indoors. Um, it's a pretty tight crowd. There's no one behind you. And my show is largely dictated by who's there, where they are, what the room's like, what the settings like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mentally, where do you go with that? Like, are you focusing on the fact that you're in LA and your record label's there and you're just trying to play well for them because they're there to see you? Yeah. Or are you playing for the thousand kids that paid to get a ticket to see you play? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, like logic would tell you, you, you play for the, uh, for the crowd, for your paying audience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but mentally I am thinking of the label yeah because they're the ones who I feel like there's more to lose in my relationship with them than with the fans so I was just talking about this with a pastor yesterday morning he's a friend of mine and obviously him being a pastor he's preaching on stages often and he preaches at a big church it's called LCBC Mm. I I don't know if you've heard of that it's it's, my grandparents went there for a long time yeah yeah okay so he's he's at the Mannheim campus, which was the first one, and I've known him for 15 years, and we were just catching up. It had been a while, and I was I was asking him about this. I was asking him when you're preaching, do you think about the staff and the other pastors and the tech team that have seen you preach two perform or performances, two sermons before, one sermon before? Like they know what you're going to say before you say yeah. it, or are you thinking about the congregation? And the message that you're trying to articulate. And he's like, he's like, oh, no, I'm never thinking about the, the staff or the other pastors. I said, really? He said, no, I'm, 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 I don't think I've ever thought about that, about the fact that they know what I'm going to say. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the congregation. Like, I'm going to stand there and think these people have not heard this message before and they're about to hear yeah. it. And right. that, really, that really took me back and to our God topic kind of convicted me a little bit hmm. because <laughs> I... Um, I don't, I don't do that. If we're playing like a back-to-back show at a same venue or a, a marquee show and then like 
a night show. I'm thinking about the fans that are going to see us twice, or I'm thinking yeah. about um, someone who's working for us and they've 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 seen us play this before. I'm not thinking about the audience who's seen us for the first time. Sure, it's it's so weird, and I think I think some of it is like they know what I'm going to do before I do it. Yeah, and so like I have to live up to the expectation of what they know is coming. Whereas mm-hmm. like with the audience, they, they don't really have an expectation. So it's going to be easy to supersede whatever they, they think. Yeah. It, it just really struck me like, Jason, like you, you don't think about the people that hear you preach the message. No, I think about the congregation. I'm like, man, I need to work yeah. on that. Yeah. I got to work on that. That's crazy. Uh, so I have a little story and this is like, <clears throat> I, I'm just thinking, so I was never part of the a real signed artist. So I never had like that pressure. Yeah. Like this person makes the decision whether they want to keep me, like re-sign me for a couple more albums or not. I never right. had that pressure, but I played so many label showcases and it was this like the same thing, just like playing in front of people. Like, am I playing my heart out for the people here that I want to convert into new fans of the band or people that I've seen at all the shows this year and they keep coming to see my band play? Or am I playing for these label execs that I know we're yep. watching <laughs> and yep. I need, you know, um, and I remember one specific time, I don't know if you're a black Sabbath fan, but Carmine, a piece came to mm-hmm. one of our shows. He came to, um, Webster hall when we played there. And I just remember like he came in our green room before the show and you know, my, I probably wouldn't have recognized him cause I'm not a huge black Sabbath fan or anything, but I, I, I knew them obviously yeah. legendary, drumming from not necessarily from a technical standpoint but definitely from like a I remember this part I want to learn yeah. how to play this drum part you know yeah. and this is Carmine here so my singer introduces me to him and he's like yeah he, he came to you know to see us play tonight and uh man like the nerves just went uh, up yeah. from there it's like Carmine <laughs> piece like literally yeah. has like drum instruction videos and guitar center I have one of them <laughs> yeah you know? I have one and of them. he comes to see us play um and I just remember like getting up on stage and I was like, I just have to put on a good show. Like I just yeah. have to have fun up here, uh, wipe it all away and and just just play. Like I know these parts, I've been practicing them, you know, I know I know this uh this set list. Let's just get through the show and have as much fun as possible. And I just remember like after doing that, after clearing my head and and it was actually a label exec or a label uh showcase show as well. So he was there and then there was label executives. Um and I just remember he came in the green room after the show and came and he's like, dude, you, you, uh, you go crazier than any other drummer I've ever seen live. Like you're the guy flailing Whoa. up there. Like, man, that was, <laughs> I was like, it just, there was so much relief. Cause like, yeah. I, I could have like tightened up, yeah, tried to play the parts perfectly and yep. sounded good. But what he noticed was that I was going nuts, Yep. you know? And, and, uh, Absolutely. and I, I'll never forget that. Like that's for me, um, just, uh a great example of like just have fun up there like yeah, it doesn't matter that's exactly like, put right. on a good show and and putting on a good show ultimately ultimately is like this is for the fans this is that's for the right. people watching i'm putting on a good show and i'm not worrying about the rest you know it just it speaks to um the fact that in our heads we build this narrative and the mm-hmm. narrative is rarely true like the narrative that i build when i'm on a stage like warped is everybody behind me is a drummer and they know exactly what I'm playing in this technical song, and they're gonna know if I mess up. That is com- 
completely untrue. Like there might be a couple drummers up there and there might be one or two of those couple drummers who actually <laughs> know the song that just came out, by the way, it had just yeah. come out. Um, it's very unlikely that uh, many of those people knew exactly what I was doing. And if they did, they were critical of the fact that I was going to mess up or not. They were just there to enjoy the day, right? Mm, but in yeah. my head, we build these narratives that um, other people are viewing us a certain way or other people are expecting things in a certain way. And it and it guides us. It, yeah. it, it, cuts, us, it cuts us short. It, 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 uh, it, it introduces fear um, and it depletes our joy. It really yeah. does. And I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Like if you're listening to this and, and you have something coming up where you're thinking more about who's going to be there, who's going to witness it, who's, who's going to be entertained, who's paying to see you, um, who's grading your paper, then you are like the message itself or like the intended audience, then you're missing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm saying this from personal experience, like, those kids in that crowd, they were there to have a good time. And, you know, do I remember, do I remember the show because of their response to it? I probably remember it because of one or two people who walked on and said, can't wait to see you play. Love Mm -hmm. your drumming. Like those are the people that I have in my head Yeah. because I feel like they're expecting a certain something from me for this performance instead of Everyone else in the crowd who paid a ticket to be there. This guy over here, right. he's, he probably got free tickets. And he probably hasn't even ever seen me play drums. He's just saying, <laughs> he's just saying something because, you know, he, he's on That's stage and it's like yeah. trying to break the ice, right? But we, we build that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's funny because it's true. Like we, we build that narrative. Um, and I just, it's just interesting talking about this with you. Like, wow, that's really true. Yeah. Like your idea it of is what, so true of what he says to you is like in the back of your head as you're playing and you were able to just like work through that and go, you know what? I'm going nuts. Mm-hmm. And as someone who goes to a show and I, I could see someone who's playing drums looking at me and I know what they're thinking. Like they're trying to impress me, you know? Um, the the best thing I can see is like you're enjoying yourself. That's and it. you're yeah. playing drums because you love it. And as a musician, you pick it up even more. You can tell when someone's just trying to play the parts yeah. and not have fun. Yeah. And and in most cases, I think, and I'm biased, obviously, because I've been a musician for so long, and when I go to shows, I pick up on these things. But yeah. I believe that that the crowd, the the people at a show, can pick up on whether you're having fun or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty, there's, <laughs> there's definitely, and it's in the same way that you feed off of their energy, I think they feed off of yours. So it's, like, so important to have that energy as a performer, you know, it's got to be about putting on a show. It's got to yeah. be about, um, you know, and I, I agree. It's hard. When when there's a sea of faces in front of you, um, especially as a drummer, I think, because you're not just, you know, like as a singer, it's a different experience, at least in my experience. You know, yeah. being a singer up front, at least I had a guitar to kind of be my crutch. <laughs> but like... You know, you're connecting with these people. You're making eye contact. As a drummer, you have your band in front of you in most yeah. cases, and you have your kit in front your of you. Your kit. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much. It's just like you got, you know, your drum sets, your crutch, your, your bass it. players, your crutch, and it's <laughs> it makes it, it so much easier. Hi, uh, I hate to say it, but really, it actually is. It's so much easier um, being on stage as a drummer. Um, and uh, but you you know you have to somehow distinguish like the reason why 
you obviously w- will be more prone to impress someone who comes up before the show and says, hey, I can't wait to see you play, is because there's a face, there's a person. They're an mm. individual <laughs> that you've interacted with, whereas right. the crowd is just a sea of faces. You don't right. know any of them. True. And that's why I think it's important that you go to the barrier after the shows and meet some of these people because yep. you know there's every single one of them is experiencing your show uh, in a different way. True. From you know maybe six inches a, a foot <laughs> over, you yep. know, but they're seeing you from a different <laughs> angle, a different perspective. They're hearing, you know, I know if I if I'm you know, right in front of the stage, as opposed to way back to the right of the stage, it's going to sound different even, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to have a different experience. Um, so there's all these people that are having a different experience of your show. And, and, uh, I just, it's, it's important, but yeah, mentally, I, I don't really have any advice as far as, you know, like, playing for those people or being able to single them out as a singer it was much more easier because, um, I would make eye contact a lot more frequently Hmm. when I was singing, I was making eye contact and I was basically singing to that individual at that moment. And so I was connecting with, you know, 25 people out of the couple hundred that were there. (laughs) <laughs> My band True. wasn't that big. Uh, <laughs> the the two hundred people at the VFW. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot of people in you know, a VFW. The, yeah, that's a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, Creation Festival. Man, that was a completely different. There you go. Uh, different story. That Outdoor. Was, that was real tough. Lots of people. Yeah, people behind the stage. We literally had the bands like we had the uh, like. Bands that I had grew up listening to, just sitting back there, hanging out, watching. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is not. Yeah, that's uh, intimidating. This is unnerving. That's like um, a Revelation Generation. Uh, where it's the same thing I there. Yeah, hung out with you and and uh, that's right. It was, I was a big Christian fest in New mm-hmm. Jersey. That that festival was awesome. We loved playing Revelation. Generation. That's a great festival. And their green room was just fantastic. Oh, it was like, like they a, treated a they treated the bands. House. Yeah, they treated the bands so well. Yeah, it was awesome. I remember the hospitality was was great, and unfortunately, Christian festivals were not known for that. So no, it yeah, was not really. I mean, not all of them, but some of them were were just not not great in that department. Yeah. Um, but to your point that, that you just made about you're not sure what advice, I have a piece of advice that I'm going to try implementing that my my friend told me yesterday morning, the pastor. Okay, Let's he hear said it. this. He said, um, he said. Not every interaction is an audition. Hmm. Don't audition. Stop auditioning. You don't have to. And I realize that, you know, there's this term of like people pleasing. Like if your personality mm-hmm. is to be a people pleaser, then you're Which looking to. I 100% to... am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I think everybody has, has a slice of As a performer, you have to be to an extent, right? Right. <laughs> I think. Um, but I, th- I think so too. I think um I think we can implement that into drumming. I think we can yeah. in, I I think we can implement that idea into performing. But the uh, pretense to it is that you have to practice and be competent at your instrument because if you haven't um gotten to the point as a drummer where your band can see you as a foundation strong enough to stand on, then you're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. But if you are and if you've built that, and if your band can depend on you to be a foundation, then you don't have anything else to prove. You just go up there and you play hard. That's right. And you enjoy it. And to your point earlier, like everybody can see that. They yep. can see that. They can see the chemistry between you and your band. Um, so that would be my encouragement. 
um, don't feel like you have to audition. Don't feel like you have to win over every person that's there. Um, you've established yourself as a drummer in a band and you've put in the work and you don't have anything more to prove. You just go out there and do what you do. Um, and there will be people who are critical of you and maybe you take some of that criticism and you say, I can get better. Uh, or maybe you bounce it off and say, that's actually not, not true. And I, um, I appreciate the criticism, but I'm going to move on here. Yeah. Uh, And you're going to have to do that depending on what kind of crowds you're playing for. So that's the live setting piece of this. Um, I really enjoyed that. I think that that was was great. It's just a good, good walk down memory lane. Um, Mm -hmm. And now let's transition to studio setting. Yeah. So I'm going to play a video real quick um, or for you listening uh, play a, a song clip, <laughs> um, but and then I'll I'll talk about it uh, after. Go pee. All right, <laughs> go pee. <laughs> I can't feel you now. I'm waiting for the daylight. I'm lost. I'm So that song, a little bit of context. Um, I, I'm, I'm the type of person who I, I write a lot of things all the time. My, my voice memos app on my iPhone is filled with me humming melodies from any time from 3 a.m. to 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the bathroom, <laughs> uh, in the break room, <laughs> wherever. Um, and... Uh, in most cases, I, I I rarely ever finish these songs. There's verses, there's chorus melodies, there's lyrics written in my in my notes. There's you know, whatever, uh, tons of ideas all over the place. It's just it's always been that way. Uh, I've always done this. So, um, in 2018, there was uh, I guess a, a period in my life that was really difficult. And music is often the thing that I turn to. It really should be uh, faith, but <laughs> to mm-hmm. be completely honest, it's music. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, instinctively, I just you know veer towards music. I pick up a guitar yeah. and I start writing some music. And so um, I, I just decided like I'm going to write this song and I'm going to actually finish it and I'm going to record it and I'm going to release it. Like that was my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so the song that you just heard was a song that I, I wrote in 2018, uh, just came up on the three year anniversary of, of its release. And, um, it just brought back memories of writing the song. It came together so quickly. Um, it was, uh, it it was a really good, um, 
example of what I was feeling at the time. Yeah. I don't know if the lyrics necessarily were like true to what I was feeling, but the vibe of it and just what it is was what I was feeling. Um, but like, yeah, I, I wrote the guitar parts and I sat down. Um, this was actually the first full song I recorded after building my home studio in 2017. So um, yeah. it was the first time I sat down and actually like officially wrote drum parts for my own song, recorded them the way I wanted to, um, you know, tuned them up, mixed them, uh, recorded all the guitar parts, recorded all the vocals, you know, mixed and mastered the whole song, you know, did all the production and everything and got this all out within a month. And um, it's something that I'm still to this day really proud of, not necessarily yeah. like the quality, like I'll listen back and I'm like, ah, I could have done this a little better. I should probably remix mm -hmm. this. But like at the time it was, it, it felt so good just to release something and be like, I did all of this by myself hmm. in a month. And, um, as, as Matt was talking about like his live experience, obviously it brought back memories, but the contrast of live to studio is just insane. And even just like, I'm actually going to make this even bigger than studio. I'm going to say like writing because yeah. we, we talked a little bit about writing leveler and, and just, there's a different, um, expectation and a different, um, vibe when you're in that creative process that, you know, writing an album into, uh, recording an album practicing mm -hmm. for recording an album is different for me at least than practicing for a live show you know mm -hmm. when i'm practicing for an album oh uh, yeah i'm sure. practicing by myself you know i'm practicing mm -hmm. to click tracks or i'm practicing to midi files or or scratch guitars <laughs> you know like mm -hmm. i'm trying to think of everything i've ever practiced to leading up to it <laughs> um and it's just totally different like in this case for this song um, I actually had nothing, no reference. I just had a click track because I knew I wanted to start with drums. So I had written the song in my head. I had the lyric sheet to my right just for reference on, um, you know, how many measures I needed to play. Yeah, structure. And then I played the drum part. And so what you watched or listened to was um, actually the the actual takes of me playing in my studio. Um, mm. I think it took two takes in total to get that um, that final version. But... Um, yeah, so it's just weird thinking about me now, like my, my life consists of pretty much studio drumming. I rarely ever play live. Um, so, so now like this room is kind of my solace. I'm comfortable here. Um, I have my mic set up. I know how to record it. I know how to mix mm -hmm. it. I even have a templated mix that I throw on right to, right to begin with before I start mm -hmm. tweaking stuff. Like it's so, uh, dialed in <laughs> at mm -hmm. this point and it's such a place of comfort and um and that's so different than it is in a live setting but yep. at the same time there's a different form of pressure so like in live mm -hmm. you go to a, a venue and who who knows how it's going to be set up who knows how it's going to mm -hmm. sound who knows what speaker mm -hmm. system they have live you know it's um it's it's probably going to sound different it's probably going to feel different even if your kit is set up the exact same way all we can do is try to make it as consistent as possible mm -hmm. um through click tracks and in-ear monitors and you know a, a tech that can set up your kit the way that you like it um mm -hmm. you know but in the studio you actually have the time to kind of get all of that dialed in get comfortable but when, once you sit down and press record there's a brand new pressure there's no oh, yeah. audience there's no sea of faces in front of you but there is a, a pro tool screen with a grid oh yeah that can tell you every single beat that you miss yep. <laughs> that in my case let me know every single note that i 
hit wrong when I was singing yeah. or every single mm-hmm. guitar part that I that I screwed up. You know, it's and it's a different form of pressure. And we've talked about red light syndrome. Uh, a little bit before, so I don't want to go too far into that. But there is that sense of when you press record, yeah. the likelihood of it sounding as good as it did before you pressed record is mm-hmm. is slim, just because yeah. there's a little bit of pressure. In fact, mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. Um, I'm fortunate enough, like with that song, I was fortunate to have no additional layers. Like there was nobody else that I was trying to impress in the studio with me. I'm in my little nine by nine room, just being mm-hmm. creative and just recording and I know how I want it to sound and ultimately I'll be the one mixing and mastering it. And so there's really no pressure, but there's still pressure because when I press Mm -hmm. record, I'm still messing up. Why is that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that a little bit. I guess that's my preface. I'll kind of hand it over to you for a second. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah. As we're talking, it's just bringing up, you know, 15 years of memories. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, still, when I look at Pro Tools, I I have, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit like when, when someone else looks at a picture of, like a family picture from mm-hmm. a long time ago. Uh, it sounds kind of nuts, but like, <laughs> I look at Pro Tools, I'm looking at it right now, and um, it hasn't really changed a whole lot over the last no. 15 years. The appearance, I mean, there's like dark mode now and some other Color features. Color-coded and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it takes me back to 2005 recording with Adam D, Thrill Seeker. Right. Um, and uh, I just have a just so so much of my life is is based on like me taking something I've created in my practice space, and it's no one else is aware of what I wrote of what I put time into until it hits Pro Tools, right? And then it becomes real. It becomes real. And it's very satisfying to see the grid moving and to see your audio coming through in, in a tangible way. It's no longer just in your head, right? We, we've yeah. talked about like, you know, J.R. Tolkien and Leaf by Niggle, the short story he wrote when he was like overwhelmed with this idea of like, how am I going to write Lord of the Rings and get it out there before I die? Yeah. Like it's, it exists in my head and nowhere else. I, I have that thought a lot with drumming. It's like, I wrote this part and I'm, I'm not terrified, but I'm, <laughs> I'm concerned. Like I'm worried that I'm going to forget it, even if it's on my iPhone, right? Like in in a video format until it's recorded, and then it's like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so studio setting versus live setting, practice setting versus live setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went into the studio to to re-record Leveler, and there's there's a bunch of stick shavings on the carpet and the first thing i did was ask carson where's the vacuum i want to you know i want to vacuum this up i didn't have to i could have just put my kit down on it and played and i would have contributed to the stick shaving Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but for me i needed to know mentally that things were in order before Mm -hmm. i started playing because if things are a mess and i put my kit in that mess and everything is just sort of random and I don't have any control over the setting, I'm not going to play as well because it it doesn't feel like the stakes are as high. It doesn't matter as much. But if I invest into the way my kit's set up and how it's tuned and how it looks, I mean, how the carpet even looks before I set it up, then I'm going to play, I'm going to play uh, better. Yeah. And so I think as drummers, if you're listening uh, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, like, 
how can I bring this home for myself? Like I can't really relate to either. Um, I would encourage you to try this. I talked about this last night in drummer hangout, take your kit and put it in a corner. Even if it's an electronic kit or just practice pad, vacuum the area, clean the area, you know, organize the area and then bring back in your kit one piece at a time mm-hmm. and rebuild it. I would, I would, uh, I would argue that you're going to be more inspired to play. Yeah. You're probably going to change your heads. You're probably going to change out your symbols or clean them at least. You, it's going to matter more. It's yeah. not just going to be this space where you go and play for a couple minutes and then leave. Right. Um, and it's, it's the same way in the studio, right? That's right. Um, so I think that that translates to your practice time and, um, it's just very interesting. Like to, I, I like the point you made earlier about, um, how when you're in the studio, like the way that you play and the way that you practice is so different than live. And that is, that is so true. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I can make it through an ABR show, um, practicing without even hardly breaking a sweat sometimes. And yeah. then I get out there and I play live and I'm soaked. What's the difference? Well, adrenaline, the heat of the room. Yeah. Those two factors, but I'm, I'm, I'm hitting with, a much greater intensity. Yeah. Yep. Because I am in it. Like you're yeah. in your element. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Um, yeah. And this relates to, uh, you know, studio and practice, I guess. Like, so, and you actually have two examples to pull from. During COVID, obviously, you built up mattgrinerlessons.com. You have your subscription service now. You've been doing playthroughs. Um, and I'm curious to know just like the difference that you were in as far as your headspace. So you have a studio set up in your basement now, mm-hmm. you record videos, uh, you hit record all the time now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've had a few different experiences here. One is you had, you hired a videographer to come in and mm-hmm. video you playing and those videos are going to be used by your label. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but then you also have the capability now where you actually record videos yourself, you record Mm -hmm. all the drums yourself and you use those for your own personal membership program. Mm -hmm. Is there any difference there as far as like when you sat down on the kit with that knowledge, like I have a videographer here and this is going to be played for the label as opposed to I'm sitting down at the kit. These are my cameras. Mm -hmm. This is going up on mattgrinerlessons.com. Oh yeah. How's that? How does that change? That's a great question. That's a great question. I play better when there's someone else in the room. Mm. when the stakes are higher i perform at a higher level yeah so when it's just me it usually takes more takes Mm. even though you'd think i'd be able to be more comfortable and there's less pressure and i can relax more knowing mentally that there's a person here who's recording on four different cameras and he is present actively shooting i'm going to i'm going to lay in a little bit more yeah even though i'm recording the playthroughs now myself, like I send them to Clint and Clint edits them. I still have to turn on just as many cameras. Mm-hmm. I know the stakes are high. I just do better with someone else in the room. Right. And to contrast that with live, if there are cameras on me live, um, as you can see in that empire video, like uh, I'm laying in pretty hard. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's natural. Um, mm-hmm. in your, in your studio and your practice space, like I said earlier, you kind of have to manufacture that energy. Like you have to, you know, all right, let's go. Come on, let's go. And yeah. you, you push record and you just hammer in. And, and usually it takes like me sweating to feel like I'm in it. Mm. If I'm, if, if I'm cold or if I'm not sweating at all, I, 
it feels it feels weird i don't like it i have to start, <laughs> i have to like be worked up a little bit and like sweating and hearts racing and now now i feel like i'm gonna give a good take yeah so i guess before we wrap up this topic what advice would you give somebody as as someone who has now recorded how how many studio albums eight something like that i forget um it might be nine might be nine might be nine with leveler a number of studio albums uh that you've recorded now and have toured the world um yeah how do you go into a studio knowing that you have to perform in a way that is not exactly how it'll sound live but similar as as far as the energy that's brought forth how do you get into the right headspace and how do you prepare yourself going into the studio to uh, put on a performance like that oh okay yeah um so when we record i actually wanted to talk about this earlier when we record we don't think about how we'll do it live like if the part's really hard and we're Mm -hmm. struggling if it sounds good and it's musical and it's a good song we leave it yeah there are a few instances i could think of where it was like oh this is too fast and we're never going to be able to play this live like maybe we slowed it down but typically it's like We'll figure that out later. Let's just make the song. Yeah. Like, let's make this sound the way we want it to. Yeah. So mentally, you know? how do you get the energy there, though? Um, how, do you, well, how do you get yourself to, to get to the point where you're laying into that, that oh, snare yeah. and, and bringing what you bring to a live show? Okay. For me, it's a lot more about how rehearsed I am in the song. Like, if, mm. if I've developed a muscle memory yeah. for the parts, I can just rip in. Yeah. But if I'm like second guessing myself, I don't, I'm not going to hit as hard. I'm not as confident and I'm going to get frustrated. Right. I'm going to get up and be like, oh, dude, I cannot figure this part out. And then you have like your producer, your engineer, and some of your band in the control room watching you. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating. Like you, you feel like you let yourself down and other people down because you're not ready to do this thing. Right. Uh, but if you're, if you're rehearsed, you can, you can rip. So my advice would be spend spend as much time as you can before the studio, you know, with the parts. Alex from Era was on Drummer Hangout last night, and he's like, "Dude, I don't play drums before the oh, studio." That guy's so good, man. He, he's like, "I just sit with the songs." He's like, wow. "I just I I listen and listen and listen and listen and listen, and then when I get there, I play for the first time." I'm like, "Are you serious? That's crazy." <laughs> like uh, that 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 would be so nerve wracking to me to like not have played the drums before you go in and record, but. Yeah, you know it obviously works for him. So my advice would be, at the very least, you just got to know the songs, and you yeah. you have to know what parts you're gonna play. That's 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 really good advice. I don't think I have better advice to give. Knowing the songs is exactly what I would say. Just if you're yeah. comfortable, you'll you'll play well. Exactly, and you'll hit hard. Like you're real yeah. confident about it. Like mm-hmm. you can really you can really lay in. I mean, you know the feeling. Like if you tell me, hey, play play in five play this beat in five eight um and do this this thing with your right hand and this thing with your left hand i'll be like what like already you lost me and i'm gonna be like i'm not gonna hit that hard because i'm just trying to sort it out yeah but imagine like so take someone like hal who we had on the show recently yeah you know he goes in the studio in these situations (laughs) true he's never heard the song before and he's expected to play it in about five minutes I mean that is a special that's a special skill set. Studio musicians have so much uh to, uh, I mean uh, they have to have that's so a good much point. Uh, they they can't like in that case they're they're reading a chart 
in most cases. Like they're right. reading to chart they because they, reading, they, yep. they don't have time to, you know, familiarize themselves with the material. Yeah. So it's just like, excuse me. So they're just, they're just at a level where they can read and they can play just as fast as they can read. They can read just as fast as they can play. Yeah. And so, because there's not time to right. familiarize yourself with the material. Yeah. Uh, some of these guys, though, come in and they're completely reliant on like the Nashville number system. They just see measures and, and, and beats and they know I have to play here at, in this time and I have to stop playing here in this time. I'm not, <laughs> and, I'm not familiar yeah. with that. What is the Nashville like, number system? So it's a lot of just, so it's mostly for guitars. Um, okay. Because they, and, you know, say you want a key change. You're like, you know, this key's not working for us. Let's change halfway through recording. <laughs> they re- are relying on the number system to basically just shift. So instead oh. of a bunch of chords or tabs, it's numbers that basically just uh-huh. mean certain chord progressions. Um, sure. And it's the same thing for drummers. They're reliant on numbers for measures, for stops, for, uh, you know, so it's a lot of brackets and numbers. And, you know, um, sometimes there's a lyric sheet attached. Sometimes it's just a, a sheet of paper with brackets and, <laughs> and numbers. It was insane. It was such an eye-opening experience because these guys came in. Um, my whole band couldn't get there, so they brought in some studio musicians, and they came oh, in okay. and they wrote stuff, and they, you know, on the spot, we were just like, this is, you know, this. The producer wrote out the the uh, the music, the nut, yeah. you know, the numbers, and so he had it all arranged. The arrangement was on the paper, and then these guys just took it, and they're like, all right, well, Jeez. this is the solo I have to play over this uh, rhythm part because this is the chord progression, and <laughs> you know, it's it just wild. Yeah, the, the uh, level of that artistry makes you think and, of like Ghost you know. Note and and Snarky Puppy. Oh I mean, yeah, those, those the, guys are those the dudes were the same way. Prime they, example. They just, yeah, they hear it and they can play it mm-hmm. and remember it. It's crazy. Okay, well, well that anyway. was a good topic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was fun. It, it was fun talking about that and you know sort of reliving the past. And I hope that was helpful to you as a listener. Uh, we're yeah. going to transition into our um, God topic or faith topic, uh, and we'll just do like a quick ten minute here. Um, yeah. segment on convictions. Yeah, let's do it. So um, I thought of this topic this last week, and what I want to talk about um, is this. We base the decisions that we make in life on what we really believe deep down. So we can say we believe one thing, but our actions speak louder than our words. Mm-hmm. What are your convictions? And are you sure that they are your convictions? Is it true that you can determine what your convictions are by looking at how you live your life every single day? What are you doing with your life? What are you not doing? Who are who are you interacting with? Who are you not interacting with? Um, what are you doing in your private time? What is your prayer time like? What is your uh, community like? Mm-hmm. What is your job like? What are you doing with your money? What are you not doing with your money? Right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> is it safe to say that if you were, Tim, if you were to look at my life, if I were to give you com- complete transparency into every aspect of my life. Do you think that if you looked at the actions alone, you could determine what my convictions are or are my convictions one thing 
and what I do another. Hmm. Here's what I'm getting at. It's biblical that we set out to do something and we fail at it. We want to do this, but instead we do that. Why? The thing we set out to do, are those our convictions? Hmm. Or are our convictions the thing that we actually do? Because if we're right. convicted about doing things a certain way and we don't do it, then then why is there that margin? Right. And I would propose that sin, our fallen nature, is what separates our conviction, what we know we ought to do, deep down, from the thing in which we do. The reason I'm bringing this up is I think it's important that we determine what our convictions are so that we know what is right and what is wrong. And so that we don't become full of despair, filled with despair at the fact that we, we keep falling short of those things. Just because yeah. we're falling short doesn't mean that those convictions aren't true and real and meaningful yeah. and that they matter. Right. And that we shouldn't aspire to in, in the pursuit of those convictions. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I want to say, I believe that those convictions um, are, are put there by the designer, the mm. ultimate designer, the one who created life itself. And I believe that everyone has deep down a, a level of conviction in every area of their life, whether they choose to see it that way or not. Um, even if it's someone who's listening to this podcast saying, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in anything. There are still there's still a method in which you you follow and use to live your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so C.S. Lewis talks about this a lot, and this is one of the first things that drew me towards C.S. Lewis in, in the book Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, go read it. He talks about a train. And on a train, there's someone sitting there in a seat, and they get up, and someone else takes their seat. And the person comes back from the bathroom, or from wherever they were, and they say, hey, you took my seat. And the person sitting there goes, okay. What's it to you? And the person said, well, that's not right. That was my seat. And the person sitting there goes, right. Uh, what's right? What's wrong? Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the CS, and, and the C.S. Lewis argument that he then proposes is um, we all have a, a standard of right and yeah. wrong, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. Right. And what C.S. Yeah. Lewis then extrapolates is um, that is pointing us towards proof that a God exists because Mm -hmm. that is not an evolutionary method. It's not something that would be passed down this idea of right and wrong. Mm. And he speaks to this moral code, this absolute, uh, this absolute morality. And I believe that those things, those convictions that we have and this moral code and what's right and what's wrong, whether we choose to acknowledge a God or not, Um, points us to something deeper that really matters. Hmm. And I think that we need to be introspective about this. I think we need to ask ourselves how we're living our lives really. Like, what are we doing with our lives? And then take a second look at at our convictions and say, what is the margin between our convictions, what we know we ought to do, and what we're actually doing? Yeah. And I think if you were to look at someone who has integrity, uh, I would point towards someone like my dad. Um you see someone who when you haven't talked to them in a week or a month, you can take a pretty good guess as to what they're doing with their life. Hmm. 
let's say my mom says your dad is at an auction today. I know my dad is minding his own business, probably buying someone a hot dog and a coffee and probably going to come home with like a tool that he's going to use uh, on the farm and he probably got it at a good price. He's going to fix it up, right? I know yeah. that about him because I know my dad and I know he's he's not going to do other things even though I'm not there to see it. Yeah. And I aspire to be the kind of person that Tim if if someone asks you like you know, what do you think uh what do you think Matt's doing right now? You could take a pretty good stab at like, oh yeah, well he's 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 doing this. If he's in that situation then he's doing this. Mm-hmm. If he's in that situation, he's not doing that. Right. Right? Sure. And so that that is indicative of someone's convictions being a certain way and what they're doing um, being hopefully somewhat parallel to those convictions. Yeah, yeah. So I, I um, without detracting from what you said, because what you said is incredible, and I want to I want to dig deep into that. Uh, I just I've always found it interesting the word conviction mm-hmm. because of how it's used in pretty much every other context other than Christianity, <laughs> um, which is, you know, law, right? Uh-huh. When you're, when you're convicted, uh, what comes next? A sentence. Once you're, once you're convicted of something, it means that you've done this. This is, you know, this is what you've done. This is yeah. uh, an outline of what it is wrong <laughs> that you've, this, this, uh, you know, act that you've committed and now we have to decide what to do about it how we're mm-hmm. going to punish you and i feel like i've always had conversations about conviction for, uh, on the uh, you know the christian sense the spiritual sense yeah and it's always led a slippery slope to legalism mm-hmm. <laughs> to exactly what you said like you know where do you draw the line between you know uh, holding yourself to your convictions and and just knowing that you're you're going to fail and mm-hmm. you know so I want to draw another parallel or or another um, viewpoint and this is like t- very common if you've ever been to church you've probably heard this but like you know there where's where's the line between where we are as Christians as sinful people or as redeemed people and then where where you know where's God obviously there's a large a large stretch of space between the line where we are and where, where God is. Right, and right. And then, you know, picture someone like Hitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does Hitler fall on this? Mm-hmm. Um, he's a lot more close. He's closer to us than he is mm-hmm. to God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's like, like it's it's trying to figure out like so. Regardless of we're we're convicted of all these things, the sentence is is death, right? Mm-hmm. And and Jesus ultimately paid the price for that, so we are redeemed. Um, but I I really like what you're saying, and mm-hmm. I, so I don't want to go too deep into where I was going to go with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But rather understand that a conviction is a sentence. Yeah, I didn't you know, even think if about you're convicted it of being, something. Yeah, your sentence. I, I didn't is think of right? it in terms of like you being convicted. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, okay, I have to define that. So like. The Christian, the Christianese would be like, I, I feel convicted about mm-hmm. this, right? I feel yeah. convicted about this thing that I did that I, and, and all you're really saying, right, is, is like, I know I ought to have done better. Yeah. Like, I know what I should have done and I didn't do it and I feel convicted about the space between those two things. Yeah. What yeah. you're saying is not something I've thought of, which is like a, a, a criminal that's convicted of a crime. 
Yeah, they're literally convict. <laughs> Convicts convict. is what you yeah. call them. Yeah. So there's so a sense of judgment. There's there's a there's a ruling. Uh, there there is a juror that has sat in and they've said this happened. This person has juror. to pay. There has to be, you know, justice has to be served. Yeah. And so, in a Christian sense, the beautiful thing is that Jesus has has done that for us. And mm-hmm. so, uh, when I'm convicted about something in my life, um, it's not me that has to stand in front of the the jury, right, and say, "I'm going to plead my defense," or mm-hmm. "Here's my guilty plea." Um, I'm guilty of it, and yet there's someone standing in for me on my behalf. Yeah, and 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 so that's that's the gospel, right? It's like yeah. I don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. I committed this crime. I should have to pay for it. I'm yeah. convicted of this crime. Yeah. Um, and, and so in an everyday sort of way, it's like, Tim, you have convictions right. about what's right and what's wrong. You mm-hmm. go to the grocery store. Well, you, okay, for example, you just took your son to, what, daycare this morning? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you took him to daycare. And, I mean, someone cuts you off on the way there, and it upsets you as it should or could. What's what's to prevent you from from rolling down your window and screaming an absurdity at them? Mm. Like they've done something yeah. wrong. Yeah. So are you? So why are you? So why would you not do that? Would you do that? You, Did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Have I never done that before? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Questionable. <laughs> Did I do it this morning? No. Um, yeah. No. Because you know it's because you know it's wrong. Yeah. You know it's wrong. So. I, I think that, you know, this is on its face. It's, it's a, it's a basic concept. And my, my girlfriend and I were talking about this. Um, the reason that I think it's something that we, we actually can talk about as a society right now, as a culture right now, there, there's, there's a lot of things that seem off limits. I think we can talk about convictions because it's me. Mm, like yeah. you can't take this away from me. This is something that this I is believe. Your conviction. This yeah. is my conviction. And, if you go to a counselor, anyone that's been to a great counselor knows that a counselor will help you understand how to talk to the other person or party in a way that you're not saying you mm-hmm. or they yeah, or he or she. It's like, no, 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 me, I. You talk about yeah. yourself. That's, that's the only way in which you can conduct a conversation where um, someone else can't be defensive about it because you're talking about right. you. I feel yeah, a certain right. way, right? This is, yep. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I tell you, Tim, I feel convicted about this, you're probably going to listen and respect my my stance on it, even if you completely disagree. Even if, even like, if I it, don't hold the same convictions. It's yeah, like, if yeah. you don't hold yeah. the same conviction, right? And so that's why I think that that this is something that we should probably focus more attention on because it'll help us determine where we're going from here. Mm, I love that. You know, um, let's say let's say that someone feels convicted about okay let's say someone's dating um and they they feel convicted about being physically intimate with the person they're with right hmm. yeah and the person they're with um is listening to them talk about this so the uh the person's like i feel convicted um about x y and z and their significant other is like okay i don't have that same perspective as you i don't have that same conviction as you mm-hmm. um because the significant other loves you know, their boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, out of respect and love, they're going to say, you have this conviction. 
I like you and I love you and I'm your partner. And so I therefore take on that conviction. That's important to me too, because it's important to you. Right. Right. And so there's this, this level of feel comfortable. Yeah. 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 Exactly. There's this team team effort that 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 then plays out, and we yeah. we become more civil. We mm-hmm. we are able to live. I mean, civilization. The, like the word is yeah. based on the word civil. Um, right. I I think convictions need to be a, a more important part of our conversations because it will help us be less accusatory towards others. Tim, you did this. Yeah, and right. Instead of like, hey, um, I feel this certain way. I'm convicted about this. All of a sudden, you're friendly. You can be friendly yeah, and respectful. Right. I think this is really huge, actually, just even for the development of the church. So for anyone that's listening that's not in the church and hasn't heard conviction used in this way, I'm going to reference Jiminy Cricket and basically just say conscience because conscience is the closest thing I can think of to conviction Everyone has a conscience. That's always been like if anyone says prove that there's a God, I said conscience. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. does has nothing to do with upbringing. It has you know, there's kids who grow up in abusive homes and or grow up without a home and they still have a conscience. Mm-hmm. They still mm-hmm. have this ability, unless you're a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but you know, um, there is this you know this this spiritual thing that that is within you. You know what's what what's right and what's wrong. Um, and I think being respectful of convictions on both sides is really important. Like mm-hmm. even if you don't feel convict, even if you feel convicted by something, not convicting someone else for That's that right. thing. Mm-hmm. Like because you're going to put yourself. I mean, convictions. I see it in this way. Like uh, I think they're important, and I think they're good to have. I think they're structural, mm-hmm. but I also think they can be very. Um, they can become a prison mm-hmm. if you. If you just have convictions about every little thing, you're going to be confined, and there's no freedom there, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Mm-hmm. So when I'm seeing someone with convictions left and right, mm-hmm. their conscience is telling them, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, there's something a little off there. Mm-hmm. That's not the Spirit of the Lord. That's <laughs> that's something else. You know, yeah. You're listening to someone else. Um, so I think it's important to determine what is a spiritual conviction and what is just brought on. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's certain people that don't drink beer. Yeah. Uh, my, my, you know, my family doesn't drink alcohol. My, for yeah. The most mine part. too. My parents. And, and that's something that, um, they have reasons for and that's okay. And I respect those convictions. Exactly. They know I drink and they respect my convictions. Yeah. Uh, it, as soon as it becomes me telling them that they're wrong for, yep. for not drinking or them mm-hmm. telling me that I'm wrong for drinking, that's where, we cross a line. That's, That's where right. you're putting convictions. And I think this um, this idea can be brought in the church a lot because this is where lines are crossed, For feelings sure. are hurt, people leave churches, people, you know, uh, break up is because, you know, you can hold true to your own convictions. No one's telling you not to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great to identify what convictions are from from God and which mm-hmm. convictions are your own. That's right. Regardless, you have every right to have those convictions. Um, just don't put them on other people. If those other people aren't convicted by those same right. things, I mean, there again, there's so many lines, there's so many things that we have to be like, okay, well, murder is wrong. That's right. <laughs> there's no, yeah. if you're not convicted by it, you're a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's, it's, if you don't feel like that's wrong, then there's something wrong with you. But, right. <laughs> um, but, the, but there are certain things that I feel, uh, 
you know, I've stepped into a, a bunch of places that judged me simply for the clothes I was wearing. They yeah. convicted me because I was wearing a, a T-shirt that wasn't appropriate mm-hmm. for church or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. It's like, and you have to figure out, like, where, you know, where do you draw the what line? What really matters here? Does what that really, matters really matter? Here. I mean, right. what level is that? There, there are certain things that are better than others. To your mm-hmm. point, there are laws that are in place so that we have a civilization. There are right. absolute rights and absolute wrongs. And, you know, here at Holy Ghost Notes, we believe that um, the the best way to live your life is to follow the, the guideline that God has set in motion. Uh, him being the creator, he knows what's best. And he loves us so much that he's willing to let us get it wrong. That's right. Think about that, man. He wouldn't he wouldn't have to do that, but he loves us that much that he's willing to let us get it wrong mm-hmm. so that we can we can figure it out and just know for ourselves. Yeah. And when we get it wrong, we have the chance to get back up and there's not a jury sitting in saying you're convicted of this crime. Instead, there's someone standing in between us taking the hit saying yeah they did but i'll 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 take it i'll yeah. I'll, I'll take the i'll take the sentence and mm. um that'll bring us to our knees yeah. uh, and i think that at the end of the day that's that's what we want here at holy ghost notes is like us to take a serious look at this claim that someone did that for us on the cross someone took the took all of the crime and took all of the the sin on themselves having lived a perfect life and it, once we take a serious look at that what what do we determine it says about how we live our lives today yeah i think we should do that constantly <laughs> that constantly. should be a a regular assessment how am i living my life there's one thing i want to leave us off with here and it's just a a, a fun fact that i was is it was really eye-opening to me when i was thinking about it so what do you do you know what the name of the tree was that Adam and Eve ate off of? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. So before they ate that tree, uh, they were considered innocent, unblemished. And when they ate from that tree, which was quite literally the knowledge of good and evil, (laughs) as soon as (laughs) they knew what was wrong, then they could do it and be held responsible for it. It's the same thing with children. If some like my 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 four year old son uh, got accidentally hit in the face by my three month old son, my three month old has no idea what it means to hit someone in the face. Mm-hmm. And my four year old was like, "Nolan just hit me in the face." I was like, "Well, it's okay. He doesn't know anything. You know, he doesn't know any better. He does He's innocent. Not know any better. I'm not going to place that conviction on him. I'm not going to put. He's not going to get in trouble because he didn't know any better." Hmm. My four-year-old, if my four-year-old were to hit Nolan in the face, he would get disciplined because mm-hmm. he knows better. He knows mm-hmm. what it means to hit someone in the face. He knows that that's wrong. This is this is where, like, it all plays in for me. Like, you know, the easiest person to get into heaven is is someone with a mind like a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the innocence. It's the innocence factor. You know, like, and thank the Lord that, that Jesus died (laughs) for us because we literally, we were unable to get into heaven no matter what we did. As soon as, as soon as we ate off that tree, as soon Mm -hmm. as we, um, as soon as we knew it was good and wrong, we, we were created with a sinful nature because we have a choice. Mm -hmm. 
we entered into that sinful nature when we ate from the tree because mm-hmm. we knew it was wrong and we, and we continue to do it anyway. Hmm. <laughs> so we were damned as soon as we ate from that tree. That's it right. took Jesus dying to redeem us from that. Um, but I, I think it's still important. Yeah, I think it's still really important for, for us to assess assess our convictions and ask ourselves or ask our friends, <laughs> hmm. what do you think of me? True. I've done what, that before. What, it's very am uncomfortable. I, am I? Yeah. You got to have a good well, friend revealing, if you're going to do right? that. That's true. If you, That's true. If you're going to do that, ask a good friend, but it's something you should do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Tim, that's a great point. So that's a practical application for today. <laughs> I can't add anything to that. Uh, I think that that's, that's a really great way to end this episode and this conversation. And certainly it's an ongoing one, something, yes, something we sure. need to continue having. So thank you It'll so much for listening up. to uh, Holy Ghost News Podcast. We appreciate all of you for supporting us. Um, if you liked what you heard or if you didn't like what you heard, either way, go to... Um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, just give us a review there. It helps us get this podcast out um, to more people. And um, if you're interested in becoming someone who's supporting this uh, so that we can you know, give some money away, help people in need, and also keep this podcast going, we don't, we don't take a, a significant cut from this personally. It's, it's, not, it's not something that's you know, paying the bills, but we enjoy doing it. We think it matters, and we hope you do too. And um, we'd love to have you in the inner circle we have a bunch of different tiers we just added the accent tier which is like a dollar an episode um and Mm -hmm. it gets you into the community so i think the probably the strongest selling point is the community aspect um strong sense of community good group of people and we'd love to have you uh be part of it that's right yeah you hear us talking about the inner circle all the time there's a bunch of exclusive content that's available but yeah like matt said it's the community and and uh, like I was saying in the in the pre-roll from today's episode, um, you know, just being able to go beyond this podcast, help other people. We just um, supported a, a young boy who uh, uh, needed a service dog, so we put a portion of our earnings from uh, from May towards helping him get a service dog. So things like that just mean so much more. <laughs> it mm-hmm. goes beyond this conversation, goes beyond this co- podcast, goes beyond this community, and. Uh, We'd love for anyone who wants to be a part of it to to join on. That's so. right. Cool. We yeah. always end the same way on here. Uh, That's right. We say the word peace, so feel free to join us. <laughs> Do a little countdown. Tim, this was a good conversation. Appreciate you, man. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having this with me. Three. Peace. Two. One. Oh, I jumped the gun. Peace. peace. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were going to count it down. (laughs) Peace.